this afternoon we're going to continue practicing uh, loving um, equanimity practice. The Pali word is upekka. I'd like to just say a little bit about it from uh, my perspective to add on to what Nikki added yesterday and then give us a chance to practice it. How's the volume, by the way? Can you hear me in the back? It's okay. And so this equanimity practice is the fourth of the Brahma Viharas. Um, it's its own practice. And yet, I think to really understand it, um, you do need to see it in the context of the other three as well. And that the healthiest aspect of equanimity practice um, feels like a close sibling of the others. And so as we, as we tune into it, and really um, I'll practice equanimity on its own, and really tune into what frequency equanimity is, um, it might feel like the other Brahma Viharas are a little further apart. So as we tune into equanimity, we might feel for a moment that um, we're not tuning into compassion, we're not tuning into kindness, we're tuning to this frequency of equanimity. Yet as it ripens, and it, as it ripens and expands, um, we see how close it comes to the others and how maybe easily it is to move between them and how they support each other. So I'm going to talk about equanimity from my perspective and uh, hopefully it'll make sense to you or be a benefit to you. I see uh, equanimity almost like if you had sort of five fingers, you had four. Um, but the other three... They touch the thumb, but the, comes, the thumb comes in in almost the opposite direction of where they all touch. And the reason I approach equanimity like that is that it, it comes in and it balances out loving kindness, it balances out compassion, it balances out um, mudita, this empathetic joy. Because as, I, as equanimity has grown in me, what equanimity is, it's a softening of preferences for me. It's a softening of this preferences for pleasure, for happiness, or things that um, conventionally are much easier to want. And it's a loving of the truth. It's a mature capacity to love the truth over your preferences. And that's why it takes a long time for it to grow in us so it actually um, feels true to us we force equanimity onto a situation, usually we're dampening ourselves or we're muting ourselves. But over time, as we experience life and we experience the, the highs and the lows and we can't stop the lows from coming, but they don't last, we can't make highs last, over time we have a much more balanced relationship to highs and lows. And so it's a maturing of love that has perspective and it doesn't just reach for what's pleasant. It doesn't just pull back from what's unpleasant. And all the other Brahmaviharas mature in that direction too, but they still, compassion still sees pain as a problem. Sympathetic joy still sees uh, happiness as what we're all waiting for. And even in loving kindness, as maturing, we enter in the door wishing everybody happiness and health and all things good, it takes time for that to mature so that 
you could mature loving kindness so that it does have equanimity. You can mature compassion so that it does have equanimity. And the same with mudita, empathetic joy. One of the times that this was sort of the most profound lesson for me is when I spent a year volunteering for a hospice ward. And so I'm not new to these you know, spiritual truths and just truths that we're all going to die one day. Up to the point of entering into the hospice training, the deep messaging internally and all around me was that death was this great, 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 great misfortune. And it was only the source of fear or um, sadness or loss. And so I had been training to not have that attitude, but still was very deep and intrinsic, a lot of sorrow around dying. And so that was day one when I walked in to the hospice training. I couldn't help but have this um, feeling, like this was, you know, there were 20 people in this one hospital ward of the hospice ward. And it was just 20 stories of, of heartbreak. But that wasn't the actual feeling on the ward. You know, people were having good days and bad days even as they died. And people who had been on the ward for many years, many of the volunteers, the social workers, the doctors, the nurses, they didn't feel like they were walking into a depressing, heartbreaking situation. They wanted to be there honestly with people during their last weeks and days, hours maybe. And over that year, as I, as I began to soften this reflection, this reflexive attitude that this was only a bad thing, I got to see how tender it is. And there is some pain and there is loss for sure. But by God, it's not the only thing happening as people die. And that attitude doesn't help. It's kind of nice, like, I don't want you all to wish me harm, but if you only contract when I'm in pain, it's kind of lonely because I'm dealing with your reactivity around my pain. Nor do I want you to be indifferent. I want you to be able to actually have strength of heart to be connected with me as I go through the ups and downs of life. And in some ways, as equanimity matures, I find it an actual, it has a deeper gift that's taken time to mature. So as equanimity matures, it might feel close to indifference because both don't, don't have this reactivity around preferences. I don't care. Equanimity actually cares very deeply. It cares so much that it doesn't want preferences to begin um, distancing you from what's actually happening. And so being able to wisely soften your preferences so you stay loyal and true to what's actually happening. And then find that um, there's a, a, a beautiful love and tenderness and stability you can offer when you can work with your own preferences and soften them and find that you actually prefer love. You prefer steadiness, you prefer loyalty. And when it becomes a power in you, it doesn't matter which way things go, it wouldn't strain the love you're feeling because it's, you're not having this draw. I, I don't know what to do when you're in pain. It, don't, it gives me this grief, or God, I want you to have happiness, and you're not. If you have that orientation, which is pretty common, then the love has these conditions around it. Also, uh, for a couple of years, I worked with homeless and abused teenagers in a crisis shelter. And it was great to practice all four Brahma Viharas, 
So I would walk up the door, I'd walk up the steps of the door just with the great ambassador of metta. It's just sort of, I don't know what's going to be the other side of the door, but I'm just going to walk in on this tone of metta and then see, and I'd walk in and the kids would be blasting music and dancing around. It's like, well, I didn't assume suffering. That was good. This is a mudita moment. You know? <laughs> you're, you're homeless and you're abused, but God, you couldn't tell by the amount of joy you're feeling. So let's have this mudita moment for you. And, and yes, we haven't solved all your problems, but look at this beautiful radiant sun of your happiness. And then you walk in the door and it's, it's a hard day. Everybody's having a hard moment, really hard. And it's like, oh, compassion makes sense here. So leading with metta, walking in, could be, could be uh, mudita, could be uh, karuna, compassion, depending on what would happen. And what I saw over time is that I was still motivated by wanting to reduce the suffering, wanting to alleviate the pain. And that was frying me out. That's why I got my first taste of burnout, of, of compassionate caretaking burnout, because and I didn't, didn't occur to me to soften my preferences. I thought I would um, increase my strengths to live with these preferences. There shouldn't be homeless teenagers. There absolutely should not be. There shouldn't be pain and suffering in the world, and I will do whatever I can to end it. And that was good, young, idealistic um, motivation, but I slammed into the wall of reality. And then there was only sort of retreat at that point, because having looked at reality, it was overwhelming to care that much and have these preferences. And then my heart retracted, got burned out, and couldn't care because it hurt too much. And I started getting taught about the Brahmaviharas, and as a younger person with a lot of passions, I didn't quite understand equanimity so much. But as it grew in me and I began to see it in other people, I began to see the beauty of steady care that wasn't hooking itself or tripping up over its preferences. What did these long-term caretakers have and why weren't they burning out? It's because they weren't numb, but they were able to stay conscious and aware and connected with their hearts on a true human ride versus a preferred human ride. And the true human ride comes with pain. There is no human ride that doesn't have pain. So let's not automatically make that a negative thing. Joys come, so let's not make that the most chased after thing. The true human ride has gain and loss. It has pain and sorrow. And do we have a heart that can actually begin to stabilize and, and be awake or what actually happens as we're alive. And then there's room for preferences, for sure. There's room for, act, um, for action, there's room for reducing suffering, but not from this reflexive non-acceptance, inability to accept that there's gain and loss, there's pain and sorrow, there's birth and death. So equanimity has grown in me over time, and the other, three's ha- the other three have matured over time because I have a wiser relationship to pain and pleasure and um, my sister had five kids <laughs> and I remember being there when my, uh, when my uh, last niece was born. I just looked at my sister on the, she had this newborn in her arm and the newborn was, uh, my niece was um, breastfeeding and she'd roll over and cry a little bit and then go back to breastfeeding 
And my sister didn't go, oh my God, what was that? How could she cry? What's that about? She was not um, flinching. She'd grown used to the fact that newborns cry. And she knew the difference between a cry she needed to attend to and a cry that's just a part of being a newborn. It wasn't like an alarm going off, but her first newborn, like every time, every, every coo, every smile was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> We're doing a good job. And like it's crying, oh my God, she's crying. Like, what do we do? What do we do? We're just so alarmed by this caring, of course. And it's, you know, it's a caring heart. It's not an indifferent heart to want a newborn to feel safe and secure and to you know, pay attention when it's crying. But I just watched over time my sister mature and have equanimity. She didn't have indifference, but she actually was a much stabler source of love because she didn't have this reactivity. And that's really what equanimity is meant to soften us, not dampen our consciousness, just dampen our reactivity so that we can stay more true, more connected to uh, reality to what's actually happening moment by moment. And that's how it cleans up the other three Brahma-viharas because they do have, if they have a fault while we're developing them, it's that they still prefer happiness to sorrow, pleasure to pain, health to sickness. And those questions have come up as we've practiced them. If you're wise enough, you might have questioned, how could I be wishing somebody happiness all the time? Because you can't be happy all the time. So those questions have come up and that's the maturing of the other three. How do you, how do you um, want to cultivate health and well-being without being attached to it and not being distraught when you don't have it? If there's a fault of equanimity as it's maturing and you really practice it, you might find that you are not um, participating enough in, well, in well-being, in cultivating well-being, in preferring happiness. There might be an indifference merging with your equanimity until it becomes purer and stronger. So a very equanimous being, um, until that equanimity is pure, you might find that they feel a little bit remote. Whereas when equanimity is fully strong, when you really cultivate it, it doesn't feel remote. You feel actually like the, the person is not gonna be flinched by, uh, not gonna flinch back from you or, or uh, shut down or overly get excited by your story. They actually can witness your story very beautifully because they don't, they're not uh, confused by their uh, preferences. Two more little things just to set the imagery. I used to do um, uh, juggling and balancing. It was just kind of fun. Uh, and for some reason, people who did math and physics at Reed College were really into juggling. I don't, I don't know why it was, but these math professors with these huge organ beards would juggle. And it just also came with balancing for some reason. Um, and so I tried balancing, and you naturally put your arms out like this to help you balance. And if your arms are in, you don't balance very well. So you put them out. And then when people do tightrope walking, they have this huge pole. And what I see about that is that if you actually know how to extend consciousness into joy, and really know the realms of joy, but only know that, and only pursuing that, you lean out one way. If you have a heart that's drawn to caring where there's pain, but that's been dominated for you, you're kind of pain-oriented. And if you actually know how to do joy and sorrow, and you find a balance between the two, 
If you lean towards sorrow, you need to cultivate joy. If you lean towards joy, you need to become aware that there's sorrow. Then you hold the two and you have this long pole going out in both directions. And what that creates in the middle is this beautiful balancing point. And then you can walk in a tightrope between the twin towers like that one, uh, I think it was a French man did. Um, because he could go in both directions, he was balanced in the middle. Whereas indifference is where I can't, I can't handle all the pain, so I'm pulling this one in. And you can't dampen just pain. If you dampen pain, you also dampen joy. That's neurologically true, psychologically true, dharmically true. And so if we can't feel life in either direction, we tend to pull in. And then the equanimity is actually not that stable. So equanimity is an extended feeling state with this balance between pleasure and pain, the ability to let there be both, and find a tender, steady intimacy while life plays between these two, joy and sorrow and a whole bunch of neutral moments in the middle, and then suddenly there's joy and neutrality and there's pain and back to neutrality, unhinging our love from the preferences that it go one way or the other. To do that, um, Nikki gave the structure yesterday of starting with someone where you can start to tune into somebody, but your preferences don't get easily kicked up or don't get quickly kicked up. So picking anybody in the room as sort of a neutral person, they've had probably very beautiful moments in their life, all the way back to when they were young, and they probably had sorrows that are immeasurable. Everybody in the room has had a mixture. And right now in the room, some people are having, on the great merry ground of life, some people are having that time when things are moving up and there's joy and there's a lot of fruition of beauty. And other people are having illnesses and pains and loss. And then the merry go round keeps going and we keep changing places. So that's true for everybody. And if you start with a neutral person, you can start to practice that understanding. And it doesn't immediately kick up reactivity for you or it may not. So that may be the safest person to start with, to experiment. I can love you through your highs and your lows. And my love is not dependent upon your highs and your lows. I'm interested in your actual experience. That's the tonality of equanimity or how I've found my way into it. And then Nikki gave a lot of phrases yesterday you could play with to see if they support that. Intimacy not confused by preferences. Intimacy not confused by this pull towards pleasure and happiness and retraction from pain or suffering. So why don't we try to practice a little bit and then we'll see what that's like and see if there are any observations or questions afterwards. as we're finding our posture and we're settling in, start with just a, a, a personal scan right now that if before I started speaking, there was a lot of sorrow in you or you had a lot of joy and you were really enjoying your joy, it's possible the timing of equanimity practice is not, it's not where your heart is right now. So just see, is, do I want to keep doing what I was doing? Or 
does this feel inviting? Does this feel intriguing to begin exploring what equanimity, what this beautiful loving intimacy that's balanced is like? So don't force it upon yourself. See if this is the right time to do that. And if it's not, do your best to uh, let my voice be in the background and stay true to where your heart is. If you're willing to follow along, you can start with a, a reflection that allows you to find balance. It allows you to appreciate balance. Balance that's still tender. Balance that is intimate with life. To do that, you might turn your attention towards your body Feel yourself breathing in and out. Tune into the relative calm of the room. See if you can tune into some quiet, some calm internally and externally. The way I'd like to take you in today is actually not through the neutral person. You can, you can try that experiment if you want some other time. Let's see if you can bring your attention first to yourself, sitting here in the room. And see if you can tune into balanced love that can be aware, I've had pain and pleasure. I've had great times and difficult times. I'm having a true human life. It comes with ups and downs. As you're sitting here in the safety of this present moment, see if you can turn your attention towards your past in any way you want to approach your past. In all the years that have come before now, 
I'm at peace with what has happened. All that has happened has led to here. I'm going to let my past be as it is. Done is done. Those are the words I repeat to find equanimity towards my past. Done is done. As I repeat those words, I might invite memories to the past, of the past that come, whichever ones come, and just see if I can hold them as part of my true story, made up of many events. See if I can honor the truth of my story, of my history, lower reactivity, and find a wise, balanced kindness towards my past. Sometimes when I find a part of my past that's difficult to accept, I'll just say, yes, that did happen. And I'll see if I can ease myself and find a balanced, kind relationship to the truth of certain events. Yes, that did happen.
done is done. And sometimes, yes, that did happen. Allowing yourself honesty, wisdom and balance in relationship to your past. invite you now to bring your attention towards your current life, sitting here in this room, maybe opening up to things going on in your current life. Momentarily putting aside your preferences being honest and intimate with life as it is. This is how things are. Things are like this. This is how things are. Things are like this. I invite you to make it a little more tangible and to feel into your body and see if you can practice loving equanimity for the truth of what your body is experiencing. There may be pain, neutrality, pleasure. You may be hot or warm or cool putting aside your preferences, allowing that to be the basis for loving your body just as it is. This is how my body is. My body is like this.
you can try, this is how my heart is. My heart is like this. Loving what is honestly true. Loving any direction, your heart changes. This is how my mind is. My mind is like this. Allowing there to be equanimity towards whatever is happening for you mentally. It's easy to focus. I'm tired. I'm restless. I'm foggy. This is how it is. My mind is like this. I invite you to experiment with a challenge and see if you can bring somebody to mind, somebody you care about. Allow yourself to settle into an honest, balanced kindness towards them. Considering what you know about their joys and sorrows 
their ups and their downs. This is how your life is. Your life is like this. Putting aside your preferences so you can know them better. So you can love them in a more balanced way. This is how your life is. Your life is like this. making room for the full range of their true experience. It's indifference if you stop caring. It's likely reactive if you have preferences. Finding balanced care this is how your life is your life is like this It's helpful again to practice equanimity if you yourself have a sense of calm and contentment and a basic sense of ease.
use that as a basis to offer deep loyalty to someone that you can care for them through gain and loss, pleasure and pain. Just for a moment, I'd like us to just try a short experiment. See what it's like for you to say, this is how the world is. The world is like this. In a very patient way, see what images come to mind. This is how the world is. The world is like this. Again, when I was younger in my 20s and I was working for this, in the shelter for homeless and abused teenagers, when I first learned about equanimity practice, I found that sometimes it was the only thing that would hold me together in the middle of all that would be going on. That I just had to say, this is how it is. It is like this. The phone's ringing, someone's knocking at the door, two kids are getting into a fight, the corn dogs are burning. <laughs> I don't even like corn dogs, but this is how it is. It is like this. And if I don't want it to be like this, I'm going to blow apart into a thousand pieces. 
it is like this. And I would just sometimes just look at, you know, it's like stare off at the wall for a second and go like, it is actually like this. <laughs> this is how it is. It is like this. And it would just be a, a point I could touch back into reality. It is like this. And turn off the fire, see if I can solve that problem, answer the door. It is like this. And then that actually would allow compassion to come back in. But without the equanimity, the compassion would just be like, it, I can't take life. I, I can't, I just can't show up. It hurts too much. So equanimity was actually a deeper safety net for my heart than compassion, which was trying to feel. But the equanimity caught me. I was like, yep, it is like this. This is crazy. And it is like this. Oh, right, I'm back in reality. Now, from here, what can I do that's productive? Any questions? Um, about Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.